start today, this uh, brand new, um, well, and actually I get to say something today that I haven't gotten to say for a year, which is I'm beginning a brand new lesson series today. And uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the power of intentionality, um, thinking about where we're going in 2016, instead of just letting 2016 sort of happen to us. And it all comes down to really everything that Jesus talked about, everything that he modeled, everything that he did while he was on this earth comes down to one thing, and that is meaning. In Proverbs chapter 9, verse 6, the Bible says, leave your impoverished confusion and live. Walk up the street to a life with meaning. And that's what we're hoping that we'll be able to do in 2016, to walk into a life that is infused with meaning. But see, here's the thing about meaning. It's, it looks different for everybody, right? We all have a different definition. We all have a different idea of what is meaningful, of what makes us, what moves us, right? And I used to think that there was a right kind of meaning and a wrong kind of meaning. Um, my wife, Judy, loves to go to these, uh, they're sort of like self-improvement self seminars, I guess you could call them. And she has gone through just about everyone you can possibly imagine. And it's been a real blessing to me in my life and to this church and people that she knows and to her. But sometimes uh, she'll drag me along to these things and... And the things that are meaningful to some people, I, I really recognized at that point, are like the opposite to me. We were sitting in this, in this uh, seminar. It wasn't even the seminar of the guy that we went to go see. I mean, we flew down to Portland for this thing. But it was the people who were putting on the seminar were doing like a day before thing. And Judy was like, oh, we might as well go to that. So we're sitting there in, in their seminar. And they go, okay, we're going to do something now. They said, everybody stand up and find a partner. I'm like, okay, I, I came with my wife. This will be easy. They go, it can't be somebody you came with. I'm like, oh, that's a, I, I, right off. I'm like, my, I'm like, okay, this is not going to be good, right? So I go, and, and I find that this lady's like, oh, yeah, yeah, okay. Let's. And so I'm standing there, and, and the, the, the leader of the seminar says, now I want you to stand toe-to-toe, -to -toe, literally touching toes, Right? And I've got a bubble. I don't know about you, but I've got a bubble. I'm like, you know, I, I, I kind of have this, you know, here's where I feel comfortable. And, if, and so this person's standing right there, right? And it's not my wife. And I'm like kind of going, okay, you know, I'm, I've tried to get people to do things in a group setting before. And so I have some empathy for these people. And so I'm not going to be a problem. But I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm not happy. Okay, let's just put it that way. And so I'm standing there like this. And she goes, now. I want you to look into the eyes of the person that you're standing toe-to-toe -to -toe with, and here's what I want you to do. Person number one looks at person number two and says, I see you. And then person number two looks at person number one and says, I am here. And then person number two says to person number one, I see you. And then person number one says, it is good to be seen. And so that's what we had to do, right? And I tell you, I died just a little bit that day, all right? There's a part of me I will never get back after that. It just makes me cringe even thinking about it. Um, and I thought that was just, not just meaningless. That was like the opposite of meaningless. And I don't mean meaningful. I mean like, you know, that was, that was damaging.
damaging in some way that, you know, I'm not even going to be able to understand. But when I sat down, I looked around and I noticed there are people in that room that are going, that was just so good. That was so, can we do that after every break? Can we? And I'm like thinking, please, God, no. And I'm like, I love my wife, but if she says yes, I am not coming back after the next break, right? She didn't say yes, and so it was all okay. But that's the thing. Meaning looks different in all of our lives, right? What, what is going to be meaningful to me is different than what's going to be meaningful to you. And so that's going to be different. But there are some components that are a part of every meaningful life that has ever been lived, um, at least from the Bible's perspective. And we're going to spend some time today looking at, at what that looked like in the life of a man named Jabez. Now, Jabez, um, he's only got two verses in the entire Bible. There's almost 24,000 verses in the Bible, right? Two of them are about Jabez. And yet his life stands out in such a way that it's like here we are thousands of years later, and we're talking about Jabez. Now, the reason that he stands out is because he's you find him in the book of First Chronicles. Now, if you've ever read through the entire Old Testament, then you know when you get to the Chronicles, it's a little difficult to get through because it's basically like a genealogy, a family tree of the people of God. This is how 1 Chronicles starts off. In 1 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, it says the descendants of Adam were Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalal, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, and Noah. That's how it starts. And I just realized I forgot to show you a clip that went along with the last, uh, last scripture. So we're going to go back to that real quick. Keep in mind that's what Chronicles is like. Meaning. That's what we were talking about. Meaning. Okay. So meaning looks different to all of us. We shouldn't judge other people's meanings based on what's meaningful to us. All right. Let's watch this. I'm ready to be judged. <laughs> that's the thing about judgment, right? It's like, whose standard are we going with? All right. We're going with God's standard. All right. Chronicles. Jabez. Here we are. This is why he stands out. Because... This is the way most of the Chronicles go. These guys who have amazing stories in the Old Testament about them get one word, just their names in the Chronicles, right? Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, you know, it's like Noah, who has one of the most amazing stories in the Old Testament. It's like he just gets one word. Adam, the very first guy, gets one word. And then you get to 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verses 9 through 10, and there's this. There was a man named Jabez who was more honorable than any of his brothers. His mother named him Jabez because his birth had been so painful. He was the one who prayed to the God of Israel. Oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. Please be with me in all that I do and keep me from all trouble and pain. And God granted him his request. All right, the reason that he stands out is because suddenly in the middle of all of these names, just like, you know, Adam, Noah, Joshua, Moses, all these, Abraham, they're throwing out all of these guys. And then all of a sudden the chronicler gets to Jabez and says, all right, we need to take a second. I need to tell you about this guy. And to me, when that happens, the antenna go up, right? I'm like, okay, what, what is God trying to make sure that we understand about this guy 
they decided to give him, I mean, I don't know what the, what the num how many times more than everybody else in that book, but it's like, all of a sudden there's all this stuff about Jabez and like about 20 years ago maybe Bruce Wilkinson wrote a book called The Prayer of Jabez about this prayer and uh, that book and this prayer and then sermons that sort of go along with that have been changing people's lives for the last 20 years based on this one little prayer because even though meaning looks different for all of us there are these key components that are going to be the same. So what are those key components when it comes to the prayer of Jabez? The first, you look at this story, and what I see is that as far as Jabez goes, if you're going to lead an amazing, meaningful, beautiful life, then you've got to have a great dream. Okay, That's how it all starts, with a great dream. And in 1 Chronicles 4, verses 9 through 10, we've already read it, but I just want to kind of, I'm going to kind of take pieces out of this as we go through each point. It says that Jabez was the one who prayed to the God of Israel, oh, that you would bless me and expand my territory. That's the start of his prayer. But I put the, that he was the one, you know, I put that second part, or the first part of this scripture there, because I wanted you to see, it starts out with Jabez asking God for something. Old Testament, there's not a whole lot of that going on. Well, I guess I shouldn't say that. Most of the people in the Old Testament don't recognize the importance of this one-to-one -one connection with their creator. Most of Israel, you know, God is nation-building, right? He's, he's building a nation through whom his son will be born, through whom all the nations on earth will be blessed. And so... This is just sort of an aside, but for me, it's like a lot of times people struggle with the things they see God doing through people in the Old Testament. And they think, gosh, that's brutal. Gosh, that, that doesn't seem like God. And I heard somebody one time say, and it, it makes a lot of sense to me, that when you see God doing that, it, there must have been some danger there to his plan being fulfilled, sending his son to save the entire world. And when that happens, yes, God can be ruthless almost. Um, then you look at Jesus, it, when, once he's come, you see the character and the nature of God. You're like, yeah, I just don't see. The, it's like a lot of times it seems confusing that they're the same God. And, and the thing is that the, the work has been done, right, when Jesus gets here. And he's able to say, okay, this is what God is like. And so, you know, he's nation building in the Old Testament. Most of the Jews, they're just like, you know, well, the priests are going to interact with God for us. We're just going to, you know, all we got to do is live our lives. But there were a few people in the Old Testament who sort of recognized that this connection with God was incredibly important. And Jabez is one of them. We'll come back to that as we move forward a little bit. But his prayer is for this great dream. Now, I don't know about you. I, I look at this dream. I'm like, okay, expand my territory. Why is that such a great dream? Sounds like he wants real estate, right? Sounds like Donald Trump, right? Donald Trump loves real estate. Um, why is that a great dream? Well, because for the Israelites, land was about more than just wealth. Land was about their future legacy, right? What they left behind for their family when they were gone. And it didn't actually work out this way because people are people, right? And, and we're greedy a lot of times and we, we don't do what God tells us to do. But the Old Testament was set up, Israel was set up in such a way 
that you were theoretically never supposed to be able to lose your inheritance of land. That even if you, you couldn't sell your land under the Old Testament law, you could sort of like rent it out. But there was supposed to be every 49 years what was called the year of Jubilee, where everybody that had rented out their land got their land back. It was God's way of making sure that the people who were given the land kept the land. And so Jabez says, I want you to expand my territory. I want more land. He's not talking about, I want to be rich. He's talking about, I want to have an impact on generations to come. And that's a great dream, right? Now, I don't know what your dream is. Um, whatever it is, if you pray to God and ask him to bless that dream, that is the start of, of, of something great as far as I'm concerned. Um, years ago, when I took over here at Riverside Community Church, um, next Friday, or Saturday, the first, anyways, whatever this is, the first of January uh, will be my 16th anniversary here at this church as the pastor. And I had been here already uh, about eight months before I took over as pastor. I came up to be the youth pastor here. And uh, that's all I wanted to do. I didn't want to be the preacher. But eight months later, the guy that was, had, had hired me here, he was gone. And I was here. And the church here went from about 85 people on a typical Sunday to like 35 people overnight. I wasn't at all like Lee. Um, I mean, we have some things that we have in common, but he was amazing. And, uh, and I, was, I was a rookie. Let's just put it that way. And I didn't know what I was doing, and people could tell that I didn't know what I was doing. And so, I mean, I don't, I don't blame people for, for leaving and going to other churches. It's like, you know, I think God moves people around in his kingdom all the time. That's okay. But all that to say, uh, I didn't know what to pray for. I didn't know what to, what, to, what to want when it came to this church. And part of it was because the idea of praying, Lord, grow my church, right? I want to have a big church. That seemed um, dangerous to me. Because you read through the Bible, and it becomes pretty obvious. God does not like pride and arrogance and superiority. And I had a feeling that if, if this church grew and became... Uh, a large church that I would I would struggle with that right and so I had this prayer that I would pray I thought I was so spiritual I thought I was so humble I'd say Lord make us the smallest church in Eagle River and for like a year God did exactly that for me right it's like it's like what a ridiculous prayer to pray you know and I didn't know that though I, I was thinking that I was being incredibly humble but you know what? It's really interesting. What happened over a period of time is I started to think, gosh, I am such a humble pastor. I bet none of the other pastors in town pray that prayer. You know, I bet I am the most humble pastor in Eagle River. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe in the world. I don't know. Who am I to say, you know? But maybe. Maybe I am. And it's all based on that, that ridiculous prayer. Make us the smallest church in Eagle River. Now, I had this sort of... Uh, Sort of a, a disclaimer that I would say, you know, now what I would like is for every church in Eagle River to have like a thousand people in it, right? But we have 999, and so I'm the smallest church in Eagle River, but we're all making this huge difference. That's, that's what would be really good, Lord. Let's, let's do that. You know, I just thought I was so, and pretty soon I started to become arrogant about my humility, right? Superior about my humility. It's amazing how this can happen in a human being's life. But I struggle with this all 
the time. And one day I was sitting down and I, I actually read this little book, the book of Jabez, right? And Bruce Wilkinson talks about this concept of, of Jabez having a great dream. And he made a really good point that, that kind of turned my life around. He said, our God is a world-changing God. And he is looking for people to partner with him in changing the world. So to not have a great dream where you want to impact and change the world is sort of insulting to him. And so I thought, wow, okay, well, so then I changed my prayer. But I'm not a planner. I'm not an organizer. I'm not an administrator. I know this is no shock to most of you, right? I, I'm not good at like, you know, people say your goals should be measurable, attainable, you know, all of these things. If I try to do that with my goals, nothing much happens. But what I started to do is I started to say to God, okay, God, do something great in my life. Do something amazing in my life. Use my life and this church to do something that nobody's ever seen before. And this is what he did, right? Which you look around, you're like, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen this before, right? People will come up to me sometimes and say, Pastor Ed, I'm moving to North Carolina. Where can I find a church that's just like this in North Carolina? I'm like, good luck. You know what I mean? Not, not just because we're different, right? I mean, we are. But every church is going to be completely unique. They'll have similarities, but all the personalities are different. And so it's like, you can't go find another church like the one across the street and find exactly that same church somewhere else. It's just not going to happen. But especially with us, you know, every church is unique. We're like unique with a capital U. You know, like all upper caps. All, it, we're just, we're very unique, right? And I prayed that prayer. And really, this is the, uh, you know, do something amazing, something nobody's ever seen before. I'm, and this is what I said. I said, I'm tired of boring. Give me exciting. And it was amazing. It was like almost immediately things started happening and we started growing. And it seemed like every weekend we were like breaking a new attendance record here. And, uh, you know, I mean, along with the excitement comes extra work, comes extra confusion and frustration and, and, and trying to understand how to handle this new phase of things. And, it, and I'm not very good at that. And so I'm, my wife, a lot of that falls on her, or at least did. And so we'd be working together and trying to, and I remember at one point she goes, man, what is going on? It's like things have just gotten crazy all of a sudden. And like I said, I miss... I miss big things sometimes, like telling my wife what it is that I started praying about. So I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I should probably let you in on this. Um, you know that book that I was reading, The Prayer of Jabez? And she was like, uh-huh. So I kind of described, explained it to her. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, so, so I prayed that God would, you know, give us exciting and, and that he would do something amazing. And, and she goes, you know, the next time you pray a prayer like that, maybe you should let me know that you prayed a prayer like that. And then we can both be ready, you know, instead of me being like, you know. And so this prayer is amazingly powerful. Now, if you are a great planner, then it's okay to, to, to plan and make your goals measurable and attainable and, and all of those things. But I guess what I'd say is write out that plan in pencil. Because a lot of times what God has the habit of doing is taking our plans, even if they're very, very detailed, and saying, okay, yeah, you having a great dream is fantastic, but your dream is, is kind of off. So let's change this part. Let's move that part around. Because, see, here's the thing. 
I don't really know myself. You don't really know yourself. You don't know what's going to make you happy. 30 years ago, when I first started, uh, started wanting to live the life that God had designed me to live, I'll never forget, I was reading through, through the book of Colossians for the first time. And at the end of chapter 1 in Colossians, the Apostle Paul says something like, uh, my, my goal, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but he says, my goal is to help everyone come closer to God. And to this end, I struggle with every bit of energy I have in me. And I never forget when I read that, it's like something ran up my spine. Like, that's what I want to do with my life. I want to help people get closer to God. And so I, I along the way, I, I said to God at one point, okay, I'll be a minister, but I will never preach, okay? That, that's, you know, that's the deal we're going to have to make right now. If I'm going to go into ministry, I will never be a preacher. And I can just see God now going, yeah, 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 whatever. Take that first step right there. You know what I mean? And if you had told me when I took my first step into ministry that it would end up however many years later with me being here preaching at this church, I would have said, no way. There's not a chance, which I think probably is why God doesn't show us what's coming in 10 years. Because if we could see it, we wouldn't take the next step that's in front of us. I would have never dreamed I would be here, but I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world now. And so get a great dream. And either say, even if you don't have a great dream, say, Lord, give me a great dream. I want to change the world. Show me how to do that. First step, get a great dream. Oh, Jeremiah 33, verse 3. I love this verse. God says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. That's God's promise. If you don't know what you what what you should do to change the world, then ask him. Say, show me, Lord. And then just start taking the steps he puts in front of you. You know, some people end up being pastors. Most people do not. Most people continue to, to, to do the same things that they're already doing. They just do it in a different way, and, and, and God uses them to change the world. I don't know where we got this idea that pastor was like the varsity of Christian jobs, you know, and it's like, and that everything else was sort of, that's not the way it is. It's just a job in God's kingdom. And that's, that was kind of God's plan for me. He'll have a, I mean, maybe that'll be his plan for you, but probably it'll be something completely different. Call to him, ask him. He'll show you things you never dreamed. Second thing that you need, second component that sort of all of these people that are, that live amazing lives have is you need a growing faith. Growing faith. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10, after Jabez says, I want you to give me this great dream, he says, and then please be with me in all that I do. And that's what faith is. Faith is walking with God, living this life with God. That's what faith is. I used to think that faith was the absence of doubt, that faith was success, that faith was all these things. But, and faith can lead to less doubt. Never, never, never will you get rid of all doubt in your life. I mean, by its very definition, faith is unprovable. There's always going to be some doubt there. But faith, well, look at what the Bible says in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 17. It says, the righteous will live by faith. And if you have faith, in other words, walking with God, if you have God with you, then you don't have to worry about what you don't have. Because what you've got is more than you ever could have possibly imagined. And as you walk into this future that God has in store for you, he'll provide. This, this uh, scripture, the righteous will live by faith, Paul's talking about Abraham, the father of the faithful. 
you know? And I remember when, a couple years ago, when we were reading through the Old Testament, there are like four different people that the Bible says these people walked with God. Uh, Enoch is one. We don't know very much about him. But Abraham, Moses, and David. David, they called a man after God's own heart. And I remember looking at those three and thinking, you know, what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to be a friend of God? Because Abraham and Moses, that said about both of them too. What does it mean to be a man after God's own heart or a woman after God's own heart? What does that look like? And it all comes down, I think, to this concept of faith, which is not the lack of doubt or 100% certainty. It is trust and a willingness to walk with God and take the next step that he puts in front of you, even when that step doesn't make much sense. You know, faith, faith is ridiculed a lot in our society, right? People, um, well, I mean, I know that I used to feel like if I was a person of faith, then I had, you know, I felt sheepish about that. I was like, yeah, I know, I know that that you think that faith has been disproven. And maybe technically it has, but, but I'm going to live my life by faith anyways. And okay, if you think that makes me an ignorant yokel, well then that, you know, I guess that's just something I'm going to have to deal with. You live by fact and, and uh, you know, proof. I live by faith. That's what I thought. But see, here's the thing. As I, as I talk to people who want to debate with me, and I don't do a lot of debating, but I'll talk to people um, about my faith. What I started to realize is everybody lives by faith. See, otherwise, it's, it's, it's called the Big Bang Theory because they can't prove it, right? There's evidence that leads up to that, but then the evidence stops and they can't prove the Big Bang, right? It's like evidence, sure, but it's a theory still. They can't prove it. It's a leap of faith to say, I believe that the, it was all a cosmic accident, there's an explosion, and now here we are. It's called the theory of evolution. It's not like there's no evidence for it, but they cannot prove it, right? And so my friend, I was talking to him one time, and, and he was, uh, I'll never forget this. I was one of those moments where I wanted to do this afterwards, you know. I didn't because it would have been arrogant and, uh, and uh, condescending to him. But we're talking, and he's like, you know, so you think God was just always there? And I'm like, yeah, that's what I think. So that is such, a, such an unscientific thing to say. And I was like, well, then... How do you think we got here? Big Bang Theory, right? I'm like, okay, well, where did the stuff come from? He's like, what? I'm like, the stuff, the stuff that exploded, that then all coalesced into what we have around us and brought us here. Where did that stuff come from that blew up? He goes, well, it's just always been there. What an unscientific thing to say, right? Matter can neither be created nor destroyed. How did it get there? It's just always there. Well, that's, yeah, but God was just always there. What a ridiculous thing to say. I started to realize, yes, the righteous will live by faith, but what nobody says is so will everybody else. We're all living by faith, right? And the most important decisions we ever make, no matter what we believe, they are all filled with faith. Relationships, right? When, when I proposed to my wife and we stood up before the church and my friends and my family and, and said I do, I... I was really sure about my own commitment level to Judy. But how could I be positive about her commitment level to me? I couldn't. I was pretty sure she was as committed to me as I was to her. But how could I know for sure? I was, I was taking a leap of faith that she would remain as committed in our relationship to me as I was to her. But, you know, well, what do you 
think would have happened if the preacher said, Ed, do you take this woman to be your lawfully wedded wife? And I had said, you know, I give her a strong 75%. You know, what do you think would have happened, right? No, that would not have gone over well. No, what we say is, with all of my heart and with all that I am, for better, for worse, and richer and poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do we part, right? We use words of faith when we enter into a marriage covenant relationship, no matter what we think about God, right? When we decide to have children, we have dreams about who they will be and what they will do and what they will like and how they will relate to us. And then we have these kids and realize kids are not a book to be written. They're a book to be read, right? To, to be discovered. And the kids very rarely become what we had imagined they would be. It is a leap of faith. Everything, the most important decisions we will ever make are based on faith. And faith is nothing more than walking with someone, trusting them. When it comes to God, faith is not about the absence of doubt or having 100% certainty. It is about putting my life in his hands even when I don't understand what he's doing. And that is one thing that you see in all of these men and women in the Bible who live amazing lives have done. That is one thing you see that they all have in common. Now, they all live different lives. Meaning means something different for each one of them. But they all have these components in common. So they had a great dream. Then they had a growing faith. They walked with God. And number three, they asked. You've got to ask. That's how this whole thing began. First Chronicles chapter 4, verse 10. Jabez prayed to the God of Israel. You've got to ask. There is something powerful. It's, prayer is not my cosmic fulfillment list, right? It's not me saying, okay, God, this is what I need, and this is what I need, and this is what I need, and here's when I need it. Now, come on, take care of it. Quick, get it up. That's not the way it works, is it? You know, you think about it. I think about it now. Some of the prayers I've prayed in the past, I'm like, I'm lucky I wasn't struck down, right? But, of course, it's like God looks at us like we look at toddlers, right? You know, a toddler stomps his feet and says, I hate you. You know, and we were like, you know, so, oh, sorry, you know. I you know, it's like, that's the way God is with us, right? We think we're so powerful, and the words that we have, it's like, oh, we're just make God be going, oh, I didn't see that coming. No, God knows us, right? And he knows what's going on. Ask for what you want. He's not going to give you something that's not good for you. He's going to give you what is going to lead you to, to this ultimate meaning. He, he knows what that's going to be in your life better than you do. In James chapter 4, verse 2, the Bible says you don't have what you want because you don't ask for it. Now, so ask for it. Again, like write it in pencil so that then later, I look back at my old prayer lists and I've, write, I've written everything in pencil because it's like a lot of times I'll see, you know, like, whoa, look at what I was asking for then. <laughs> God, he didn't give me that. You know, I'll erase that one, you know. All kinds of stuff like that. It's like God knows what you need. And we ask the question, well, what is walking with him going to look like? That's the answer that James is going to give us. In four weeks, we're going to start a lesson series on the book of James, the wisdom book in the New Testament. And James explains to a group of people who are brand new Christians, this is what following Jesus in your everyday life is going to look like. 
practically speaking. You know, there are a lot of places in the Bible where you read it and you're like, I have no idea what that means. You're not going to find that very much in the book of James. The book of James is the most simple book I can think of in the New Testament. Now, not always easy to follow, but it's all about what it looks like to walk with God. And that's what Jabez knew. That's what Abraham knew. That's what Moses knew. That's what David knew. These people are incredibly flawed people. We don't know much about Jabez. But Abraham and Moses and King David, we know a lot about them. And we know that they had a lot of flaws. And yet there was something about them that made them friends with God, that made them men after God's own heart, that made them people who walked with God. And it all comes down to this question of, Am I willing to walk with him? Am I willing to let him guide me? Am I willing to, when I mess up horribly, to say, oh, I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? I'm going to pick you up and brush you off, and off you'll go again. That's what walking with him looks like. Now, one word of warning. Sometimes we can say, okay, God, I'm in. I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. Let's do it. And everything blows up in your life. And you're like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm trying to do what's right. Why are things getting hard? And it, sometimes it can feel a little bit like this. Almost a year, and, and things were going great, and then suddenly she says you need space. Why is that my problem? Oh, it's not. But I, I was just thinking, you're so attuned to fair one out, but you could help me with my interactions with Beckett. Let me know when I'm being charming. Let me know when I'm annoying her. You mean like this? Hey, Castle, you're being annoying. Yes, only I'm thinking more like a secret hand gesture so she doesn't... You mean right now? Yeah. Listen, you are actually fairly inoffensive on an ogre level, but I am not a people person, and I have zero interest in becoming one. Uh, let me in. Let me convince you. Forget it. No one goes inside but me. Well, that sounds lonely. It's not. I, no, I, I, I'm not. Five minutes. If I haven't convinced you, you can just kick me out. Fine. But you have to be decontaminated. Sounds like fun. psalm talks about the right path. Jesus talks about the path of blessing, where God's blessings and power flow. Sometimes we get ourselves so far off of that path that, yeah, God will walk with us getting back to that path, but we've got to turn around and go the other way to get there. It feels like you're losing ground, and God's like, no, 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 just trust me. Just take this next step. It's not always easy. Anybody that's been through a recovery program knows when you finally decide, okay, I'm in, and you get to, and you start looking at these 12 steps that are in front of you, and you're like, that looks really hard. And the people that have been down those steps are like, yeah, yeah, those steps are hard, but believe me, they lead to a place that is a lot better than where you're at right now. And that's what happens with God. He will take you into this life that he has planned for you, this life that is infused with meaning that will really mean something to you. But you've got to have a great dream got to walk with him, growing faith.
you gotta, gotta ask. So let's ask. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today and uh, we say, Lord, give us a great dream. Show us what it is that will fill us with meaning, infuse our lives with what it, what it means for us to be alive. Lord, teach us what it means to walk with you. Show us what our next step is. Give us the courage to